Our preschool through sixth grade students are dismissed for their Sunday school class. If you brought your Bible, please open with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 11 and jumping back into the series in Ephesians. Uh, As the worship team is uh, heading down, you may notice we have a new worship leader these past couple of weeks. Um, He has the same name, he has the same voice, he has the same guitar, but Between him, his wife, and his father-in-law, they have lost a combined 120 pounds in over the course of the last three months. And uh, yes, I'm going to embarrass him with it because well done, Katie and Jonathan and uh, Jonathan's Uh, father-in-law. That's just amazing. That's just amazing. Uh, If you have the Sierra Bible Church app, you can pull up the sermon notes section and follow along there uh, as well. This morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 through verse 14. Uh, Last week, we unveiled some exciting changes for uh, what's going to be happening here at uh, Sierra Bible Church in the next couple of days, weeks, and months. Uh, We released the kind of customized uh, SBC mobile app that many of you, uh, 111 of you to be precise, have downloaded in this last week. Uh, we revealed kind of our new logo. We've re- uh, revealed kind of our redesigned uh, website. Um, and we've kind of reorganized our digital strategy. Strategy. <laughs> a strategic tragedy. A strategy. Well, we'll, well, we'll see about that. Time will tell. Uh, digital strategy to reach out to the people in Reno area. Um, one of the cornerstones of this new strategy is going to be to be to, to launch a uh, Sierra Bible Church specific podcast uh, called Iron. Um, Jacob made a nice, cool little video here for us. Ah, oh, no music. Oh, let's do it one more time. There we go. Uh, We want to get this podcast up and running um, as soon as possible. We hope to release, uh, when it's fully functioning and fully uh, working the way that we want it to, uh, to upload um, five times a week, uh, spiritually edifying content that's going to be helpful for your walk, for other people who listen in. Um, We know we won't be able to kind of start at five times a week, but it's our goal to develop as much content as possible and to kind of get there by the end of 2019. Um, One episode that we want to develop as quickly as possible is an interaction over the sermon, the the weekly sermon. Uh, We want to have an episode, one episode a week, that we're going to develop kind of in the next couple of weeks uh, that's going to have some user interaction uh, with how you guys are interacting with what God is doing here at Sierra Bible Church. Uh, So what we're going to try to do is release the content of the video sermon as quickly as possible after uh, the service onto our YouTube channel and also release kind of a clip, a teaser clip of the whole, uh, of one section of the sermon to kind of just get it out there and get it out there into the digital sphere as quickly uh, as possible. 
And then after uh, people have had time to digest it, consume it a little bit, uh, they can actually ask questions about the particular sermon. They can email their questions into, uh, at iron at sierrabible.org. And the best of those questions we will answer kind of in a behind-the-scenes type of a look on the podcast itself. Uh, this idea kind of came to me through the Christmas season when I was preaching uh, on a number of different things, but one message in particular that I really hammered home, and I thought, man, this is exactly what God's Word says. This is going to be extremely helpful. It's going to be relevant to the congregation. It's going to be so wonderful and dynamic for everybody to hear, and it's just going to be this wonderful insight. And uh, I got feedback that it was not so. (laughs) Uh, And I got feedback uh, saying, Carl, when you said this, it made you sound like this. And uh, they told me that I sounded like a, some sort of political philosophy that I am so far away from. Uh, and I thought, man, it would be so amazing to have some sort of avenue to where I could let people in kind of behind the scenes what I was thinking, why I was going the way that I was going, and why it is kind of helpful. And, and that was like, oh, it would be great to have a podcast. And so hopefully in the course, over the course of the next couple of days, weeks, and months, we will be able to release that type of content to give you kind of a behind-the-scenes look at what's happening at Sierra Bible Church, in particular with the sermon uh, series that we're going through. So with that, uh, enough of the introduction. Let's dive back into the kind of the deep waters here in the introduction to Ephesians. Uh, I want to start with by just asking a question. When was the last time, can you remember the last time when you were so in awe of something that you could not stop talking about it. Married men, you better say your wedding day. (laughs) Fathers, you better say the, the birth of your son or your daughter. These specific moments when you're so in awe that you just can't stop talking about it. Well, this was uh, Paul's experience when he met Christ. It was so life-transforming for him. It was so world-rocking for him that he just could not stop talking about what God had done for him in Christ. And in this passage, starting all the way back in verse 3, all the way through verse 14, where we will end today, is this one sustained outburst of praise to God for what he has done for Paul in particular, but for all of us believers in general, what they have done for us in Christ. Praise isn't merely the aftermath of what we do when something great happens. Praise is, in fact, the purpose for which something great happens happens to us or for us. C.S. Lewis in his famous quote on the reflection of the Psalms puts it this way, the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me as he's reflecting on the Psalms and his Christian experience before. He said, "I I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy 
because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. When our souls meet Christ, the consummation of that interaction between us and God in Christ, the consummation of that moment is an overflow of praise. Praising God for what he's done for us in Christ. Praising God for the salvation that he has won in, in our soul. And praising God as for the joy that we receive in him. Today in Ephesians, we will see that, that God had a plan for us to meet Christ And when that plan has been unfolded into our lives, it should result in an overflow of praise. We're going to see here uh, basically two magnificent and glorious reasons why every believer should not hesitate to be fully unhindered and fully praising of the God who has saved them. So if you brought your Bible, please stand with me. As we read, if you are able, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 through 14. Paul says this, In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise you here this morning. We glorify you here this morning. For you have sent your son Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to give every one of your children an eternal inheritance to the praise of your glory. We praise you for your spirit being present with us, not only in this room, but also in our souls as a seal that we will one day obtain our possession of eternal life that is ours because of what Christ Jesus has done. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The first thing that Paul praises God for in verse 11, he praises God for our inheritance plan. He praises God for our inheritance plan plan. In verse 11, he praises God in Christ that we have obtained an inheritance, he says. An inheritance is something that is received. It's not earned. An inheritance is something that is received. It is not earned. An inheritance is something that is received at the cost and at the work of someone else. 
Most, in most cases, it's an older family member, it's a generation ahead of you that works hard for something, saves up, and passes it along to the next generation to receive as, to give as an inheritance to the next generation. Uh, according to Bloomberg.com, uh, the largest inheritance in the world today is through the Walton Family Holding Trust, which owns half of the largest retailer in the world, Walmart, and it's worth a whopping one hundred and fifty one billion dollars so if you are an heir to the walton family holding trust you have a hundred and fifty one billion dollars worth of assets coming your way i just had a a fun exercise this week of saying man if i were an heir of the walton holding trust what would i do with a hundred and fifty one billion dollars well i I thought, you know what, there are a number of states that I would just like to own. <laughs> what would it cost to purchase an entire state? So I said, looked up, uh, what was the GDP of, the, uh, of, a, of a particular state? And I found I could purchase up to 17 states. <laughs> Arkansas, Nebraska, Mississippi, New Mexico, Hawaii, probably Hawaii. Uh, New Hampshire, West Virginia, Delaware, Idaho, Maine, Rhode Island, North Dakota, Alaska. Alaska might be up there too. Either, yeah, probably be Alaska, Montana, or Wyoming would definitely be towards there. But if you had $151 billion worth of assets, you have more than the GDP of any one of these states which is pretty amazing. Um, and it's nice that Wisconsin is not on the list because I would not purchase Green Bay and nor the Packers or anything having to do with, with them. But I thought to myself, maybe I don't want to buy a state. Maybe, I mean, I kind of like cars. I'm not a car guy, but I, I like cars. But what would be the most expensive car that's on the market today? Well, the most expensive car is a Lamborghini Veneo Roadster that costs about $4.3 million for just one of them. So I thought, if I had $151 billion worth of assets, maybe I would buy 35,116 uh, Lamborghini Veneo Roadsters, just because I have the power to do so. Um, or, you know, maybe I want, I'm into military might. Maybe I thought, you know what, maybe I want to boost up my defenses just in case, you know, somebody wanted to invade me and my inheritance and my family. So maybe I would buy 11 aircraft carriers with my $151 billion worth of assets. But you know what, I really love being a pastor. I really love talking to people. I really love meeting over coffee. So maybe I could walk into the local Starbucks and purchase 30 billion, 505 million, 50,505 venti caramel frappuccinos with whip. Might take them a while to make all of those. But if I was an heir of the Walton Family Holdings Trust, that would come into my life. I would be the heir of a ridiculous amount of riches. And what Paul is saying here in the introduction to the uh, letter to the Ephesians, the Ephesian church, is that the financial blessings of being a member of the Walton Family Inheritance can't even compare to the spiritual blessings that God has prepared and purchased 
for his adopted children in Christ. Can you believe that? that like, that is amazing. In the previous passage, we, we saw Paul praising God for lavishing his children with untold riches of grace. And this, in this passage, Paul unpacks that this lavishing of grace upon his children, it's all a part of God's predestined inheritance plan to unload on all of his children. Uh, the term predestined in verse 11 causes some people's hearts to uh, beat just a little bit faster. Usually when the term is invoked in Christian circles, it's only a matter of time before a debate fully uh, uh, goes into full-fledged, uh, well, I believe in the human responsibility and the freedom of the will. Well, I believe in God's predestined choice. And, and they just go around in circles for hours and hours. Well, but the emphasis that's important to know in verse 11 is on God's unconditional freedom. It's God who has predestined his children. It's God's unqualified and it's his unconditional decision to adopt his children as his own, to grant them an inheritance in Christ. This becomes even clearer when you see how Paul describes his inheritance plan. Verse 11, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God gets to decide which children will be his and he works everything together, all things according to that decision to ensure that it happens in Christ. To quote one scholar on this verse, the emphasis is on God's unconditional freedom. God's unconditional freedom is affirmed for whatever he has purposed is sure to be fulfilled. But there's also some debate in verses 11 and verses 12 about who are the we that Paul is mentioning here. It says in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. In verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. There's some debate here about who is the we. Is it uh, Jewish Christians in the first century? Uh, is it all believers of all time? Or is it only the apostles? The inheritance language kind of gives credence to Jewish Christians. In fact, the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9 says, the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted inheritance. But in the context, there's no unequivocal reference to Jewish believers only in this. So it kind of uh, doesn't play towards that view. Uh, it's led others to believe that Paul is including all believers of all times in the we of verses 11 and 12. This view is supported by the language that God works all things together according to the purpose and the counsel of his will. And we know according to Romans 8, 28, that that's something that is included of all believers. And I've heard one person in particular try to make the argument that um, the we here is only the apostles. This particular argument is for people that just do not like the language of being predestined. Uh, so the we, the we language is, well, the we is Christ, the we is the apostles, but it's not humanity in general. It's not believers of all time. And to try to safeguard human responsibility, they say the we is only the apostles, the we is only Christ as the ones who were predestined. Well, as most of you 
start thinking, well, Carl, what is it? What do you think? Well, I'll give you what I think. Uh, what I think is that, that Paul is talking of all believers of all time, but with specific reference to the new believers that are in the first century in this brand new era of the Spirit that has just dawned in the first century. To, to put it in a sentence here, I think the we in verses 11 and 12 are all believers of all time with particular reference to the first believers in this new era of the Spirit. Now imagine one of the chief benefactors. Wait, is the benefactor the one who creates the trust and the beneficiary the one who receives the trust? Just anybody who's a CPA, okay, he gave me a nod, okay. Now imagine one of the chief benefactors of the Walton Holding Trust Corporation was on his deathbed, was about to die, and the, the, the trust was about to go into the beneficiary's account, the, the, the rights for their wealth to the next generation was about to be unlocked. Now, you can bet your bottom dollar that as that is happening, that the benefactors are going to spend as much money as they possibly can to make sure that every legal loophole is absolutely closed, that it's an airtight trust. They would plan and they would prepare and they would make sure that everything is, all the, the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed, that every legal loophole possible would ensure that the financial trust would go from the benefactors and to the beneficiaries. It's just smart, wise planning. That's what a trust is for. That's what an inheritance plan is for. And you can bet your bottom dollar that the, the largest inheritance plan to the next generation is going to make sure that all of those things are planned out in detail to make sure that the people who should receive it will receive it. If the most powerful humans and the, mo the richest humans can orchestrate a secure plan to ensure that the beneficiaries of a trust will receive their inheritance according to the plan, how much more secure is the inheritance plan that God, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-loving God to give to the beneficiaries of his plan. Some of us in this room have such a hard time being optimistic about the future. We have such a hard time living with a sense of joy and hope and purpose because our present situation is terrible. It is so difficult for us to see outside of our present situation and realize that the eternal inheritance plan that is ours because we have been adopted as children in Christ, that our inheritance plan is coming. It is so hard for us to get outside of our present situation that is so bad and realize that we have an eternal, unfathomable blessing that is coming our way one day in Christ. It is so difficult for us to realize at times when things are going especially bad that if we are in Christ, we have billions of years of unfathomable blessing to look forward to. 
That doesn't mean it's going to be realized right now. It doesn't mean if you pray for wealth, it's going to be downloaded into your bank account here and now. But it does mean that one day, because of what Christ has done and because of the Spirit inside of your heart right now testifying that you are a child of God, one day you can look forward to unfathomable, unimaginable blessings coming into your life for billions and billions and billions of years. But the problem is we're so locked in to our present situation. The pain of this world is so difficult and it's so real that we can't see past it to realize that what is coming, to, what is coming our way is absolutely mind-blowing. This is one of the reasons, in a very real sense, that the church, the institution of the Spirit of God that God has given birth to, that we gather to celebrate week after week, the church should be the most hopeful and optimistic institution in the entire world. We are going to be the only institution that lasts forever and ever. The United States, it's going to pass. Your schools, they're going to pass. Your current family structure, that's going to pass. The church of the living God will endure forever and ever and ever. And if we get our minds outside of our present situation and realize the unfathomable blessings that are coming our way one day in Christ, it should cause us to be much more hopeful and optimistic about our daily lives. Not naive, not with our head in the clouds thinking that pain in this age isn't some actual reality, but knowing that all of it has a purpose and one day it will be revealed from heaven and we will endure in everlasting joy with our Father forever. And this reality, brothers and sisters, is guaranteed. There's no, well, maybe this might happen. This is guaranteed. This eternal inheritance is ours through faith in Christ. And it's not some blind optimism or naivety. It's a spiritual reality. Our faith, as we'll say in verses 13 and 14, our faith is sealed. The Apostle Paul says in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise Holy Spirit. Sealed denotes ownership. Cattle, even slaves, they're, they're branded by a seal in the first century and they're to indicate from their masters whom they actually belong to. Owners had a stake in their property. The, the seal was a guarantee to the property that you're going to be protected from theft and ensured their safety. Being sealed in the Old Testament was God's sign of his protection for his people. As we see in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4, uh, the Lord said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem, that's God's city, through Jerusalem, and put a seal, put a mark on the foreheads of men who sigh and groan over the abominations that are committed to it. So the seal was the mark of, these people are genuinely my people. 
Protect them from the coming judgment that is coming because of all of the sin that is happening in the city. Put a seal on them. Mark them. These are mine. I own them. In the New Testament, Paul uses this language of, of sealing of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22, he says this, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It is the spirit of the living God in our hearts that seals us, that we are God's children by faith in Christ. Because of what Christ has done, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit through faith. Verse 14, he continues, the Apostle Paul continues, the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's because we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit that God himself guarantees that our possession of eternal life will be with him forever. And all of this, all of our possession of eternal life sealed by the Holy Spirit, all of this is for the purpose that our lives would be to the praise of his glory. Your salvation, your inheritance, it's not about you. It's all about what God has done for you. It's all about what God is going to do for you to, the pra- to show you off to the praise of his glory forever and ever. When you come to faith in Christ, God seals your eternity by his spirit. He himself, the, the Holy Spirit himself, guarantees our possession of eternal life so that our lives are continually lived to the praise of his glory. This refrain to the praise of his glory is found in verse 6, verse 12, verse 14. It's just this outburst of praise that that Paul gives throughout this entire sustained section to help us know that this is the climax of our existence, to be living to the praise and the glory of God himself. When you purchase a home, you you don't take possession, or excuse me, when you purchase a home, you do take possession of it immediately, right? You go in there, you live. But for most of us, we don't own that possession. It's owned by the bank. The mortgage is the guarantee that the bank will receive every cent of payment that has been promised to them. The mortgage kind of seals the bank's stake in the property and it guarantees that even if the person who is loaned the money by the lending institution can't pay for the property, that one day the bank will take possession of it. The Holy Spirit is God's mortgage on Christ's payment for our lives. God has a full ownership stake in our lives. God will not go back on his payment. He has paid for our lives fully in the cross and in the resurrection, and he will receive every ounce of property that is rightfully his. And unlike the bank, God is not concerned about default payments. Christ's payment for redemption, the check has cleared. It is written in the sky in the resurrection. The payment is secure. The payment has, the check has cleared. 
the seal of the Spirit in the life of, in the life of the Christian guarantees that a never-ending, unceasing eternity of praise is the inheritance for every struggling saint. If this spiritual reality doesn't fire you up, that you have unimaginable, untold billions of years of blessings coming into your life, there is some, something off. There's something that you're looking for, looking towards either in this age or maybe in the age to come that is firing up your soul more than untold, unfathomable blessings. And one of the ways that we know that, we're, that, that our, the Spirit testifies in, in us that we truly are sons of God is when we think about the glorious inheritance that God has destined for all of his children, something within us overflows with praise saying, thank you, God. You have done for me what I could not do for myself. I never could have earned this in my own, with my own works. I have, I can only inherit this. I can only receive this. I didn't do anything to cause it. You, God, did a work in and through me. And if that doesn't well up into overflowing, abundant praise, something is off. Brothers and sisters, I desire deeply, and I'm praying that we become a church that is just known for our praise, that is just known as the church. When you gather together here, there is a spirit in the air, there is a spirit in our hearts, there is a spirit in the atmosphere that just overflows and erupts with these people are living a reality that's different than the people outside of the church. These people are living an eternal reality that just, just does not make sense from the world's standpoint. And I am praying, I am hoping that God does such a deep work in our hearts through this book of Ephesians and through a number of other things that, that we become a church that is just known for our praise. That doesn't mean we all have to have as wonderful singing voices as Jonathan. In fact, if you don't, you can kind of sit toward the back. (laughs) It just says make a joyful noise. It doesn't say make a beautiful noise. But I am praying and I am hoping that God does a work in us by his spirit that this reality is just so on the forefront of our minds that as we gather together as the church, people sense that there is something different. They are singing to a God that it transcends the present situation and is in the heavenly places that has destined them for an eternal inheritance that will last forever and ever. And when that happens inside of a church, when God's spirit is so present, it becomes so contagious. So just as we're kind of closing out this outburst and eruption of praise that Paul gives in verses 3 all the way through 14, let's take inventory as we're singing this last song and say, what really is the goal of my life? Am I really singing and praising God in the deepest parts of my heart to the, to the praise of his glory? Am I living my life in such a way that he is the goal, the end prize, the, the one that I'm going after more than anything? And if that is true within us, let us express that back to God in the way that he alone deserve. So as the worship team kind of comes forward, we're going to close this out with a, with a song of praise. 
to God, singing that God himself in Jesus Christ is our living hope. The one who died a death on the cross that that we deserve, that was risen from the dead in our place to guarantee and grant us eternal life by his spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you and worship you that you have sent your son Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to grant us an eternal inheritance in Christ. Help us, Father, to really press in to the fact that you are a great and a glorious God, that you are the one who has sent your Son to die in our place, who has rose him from the dead and sent the Spirit into our hearts that it causes us to cry out to you, Abba, Father, Help us to be a people that that praises you in spirit and in truth because of what you've done. Help us to be a church that, that lives in this reality that one day we are going to be with you in full presence of full glory and it is going to be an unending, never ending life of praise and worship for you forever and ever. Help us to get glimpses of that on Sunday mornings as we gather as a church and allow for our lives and everything that we do to be lived to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.